0: Off the ball. Feels like we're in the running already. There's still half a season to go. I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream, wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app.
1: Off the ball daily.
0: And you're welcome to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you as always until five o'clock. We hope you're doing okay around the country. And it is FA Cup fourth round weekend. We'll keep you up to date on all the goals this afternoon as soon as they go in on the show. So Damien Delaney, the former Republic of Ireland and Crystal Palace defender, will join Dan McDonald and Johnny Ward for Football Saturday as we discuss all the pressing topics of the week that is between three and five this afternoon we'll also hear Nathan Murphy's team of the Premier League season so far on the show today and in a week's time Ireland play Wales in the opening Six Nations match in Cardiff this is kind of creeping up on us this Six Nations I feel Ireland rugby legend Brian Driscoll is our special panel guest this week for an extended interview as we look back on some of the big moments from his own Six Nations career we'll also get Brian's thoughts on this year's tournament that is coming up folks at half 153106 is the number for your texts if you want to share your opinions with us when it comes the sport. If you have any questions as well for our guests during the show, you can also tweet us at off the ball. Looking at the TV here, Accrington Stanley against Leeds United, Aidan Delaney is here for the news round and Aiden. We're into FA Cup fourth round territory and good start for Leeds
2: yeah absolutely it's a goal from Jack Harrison which is separating the sides right now so it's uh, 34 minutes on the clock and it's Leeds 1 Accrington 0 uh, Jack Harrison one of those players I remember he, he burst onto the scene when Leeds first came up and played in that game against Liverpool I think it was the opening day of the season and it was uh, you know he was storming down the left hand side and you really thought like this could be a proper Premier League player and he probably won't stay at Leeds too long but he has kind of fallen into the milieu that Leeds have kind of fallen in over the last couple of years and, and really fallen down that pecking order but he's just shown the the kind of quality he has. It was kind of a, you mentioned, a a daisy cutter from outside the box and and hit to the bottom corner of the net there. So he really does have that quality. And I always thought he would make that step up, but he hasn't yet.
0: Right. I think Leeds, yeah. you would hope they're safe, but you're not not sure. Um, So Leicester are at Walsall as well. Uh, So scoreless in that match as well. And we also have matches later on involving some of the bigger clubs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we can hear from uh, one of the the men who used to be at the heart of the Manchester United midfield, uh, Paul Ince, coming up against his former team. He's taking his Reading team to United tonight. And speaking before the game, the man affectionately known as the Governor uh, spoke about his memories of growing up with the magic of the FA Cup as it was back then and facing the man in form, Marcus Rashford, this evening.
3: Hopefully he's not going to play. I I've got another... <laughs> I was I was a bit disappointed they won three 0 last night because I was thinking that he might play against us now because that tie looks like it's more or less over. So, um, but listen, I think Marcus Rashford. I think you know, like any player, it's all about confidence. It's all about the right manager coming in, <clears throat> noticing how to, you know, to build confidence. It's just never easy because we saw the last two years that he'd lost a bit of confidence, whether it was because. I don't know the reason behind it why people do lose confidence. We all lose confidence at some <clears throat> some way or form, you know. So, um, but to see him doing what he does best is is great for Manchester United. You know, it's great for Manchester like United fans. I mean, he's unplayable at the moment. He's unstoppable. I mean, the goal we scored last night, you know, shows what type of form he's in. So, but listen, listen, we listen, We can't be thinking about stopping Rashford. They've got so many top players, you know, and Erikson Fernandez, and. You know, Vigal's got his first goal last night. So, um, listen, it, it's not about us stopping players, you know what I mean? It's about us just going and putting the performance. Do you think players still dream of winning the FA Cup? Obviously, I know the tournament's changed a bit, hasn't it? Since maybe yeah. with the money that's on, sharing the Premier League and mm. stuff, maybe that's taken priority for a lot of teams, so. that? It has, and it's a shame, really, because obviously me as a, as a kid growing up in, in school in the playgrounds we used to play a game called Wembley in, in the playgrounds, and it was about... Lifting the FA Cup, it wasn't about winning the, the Premier League, it was just about getting to Wembley, walking up the Royal Steps, you know, and receiving that trophy. So it was so important to us, probably more important than the league at the time. Nowadays, obviously, with the finances in the Premier League and the Champions League, it seems to take a back step. But for people like us at Red End, for the fans, you know, you've you always got to dream. And, you know, the FA Cup's about <clears throat> giant killing, you know, that's what it's about nowadays. We know eventually, listen. It's fairly rare you're going to get a Wigan, you know, win it or something like that. If doesn't happen nowadays, it's normally the big sides. But, you know, for us, it's about giant killing. So we've got an opportunity to do that. Yeah,
0: Paul Ince won the FA Cup with the Man United in 1990 and 1994. And he brings his Reading team to play Man United. Eight o'clock start at Old Trafford tonight. Spurs uh, away to Preston from six. And not that many players have played for Liverpool and Man United. I can think of Michael Owen and Paul Ince off the top of my head. I can't think of that many more.
2: Yeah, it's, I'm struggling to think of many more and I don't really remember the kind of the best of Paul Ince, I do remember a little bit his his Liverpool stint but I think he won't really be fondly remembered for that as you mentioned, you know, kind of being more at the heart of the Manchester United midfield I think is what he's more famous for. Was he one of those players that you would look out for in the early 90s?
0: Uh, Well I think when he was at West Ham he was pretty sensational and then he went to United and he did a job for United but... There's a lot of players that Ferguson got rid of and and some of them he regretted uh, over time but like the likes of Hughes left, Konczelskis left, Ince left and Ferguson was never short of rebuilding his teams and that's why he was there for so long and won 13 Premier League titles. So... um Ferguson felt you weren't fitting in for whatever reason he'd move you on moved on Yapstam and he, he made made a mistake with that I think as he admitted there's other matches in the FA Cup 3 o'clock starts this afternoon Yes.
2: Yeah, so Fulham host Sunderland at, in the middle of the afternoon there we have Ipswich meeting Burnley Sheffield Wednesday will take on Fleetwood and we have Southampton facing Blackpool as well uh, north of the border then Rangers would reduce Celtic's lead at the top of the Scottish Premiership to 6 points that's if they can beat St Johnston this afternoon that's a 3 o'clock start And former Norwich man Todd Cantwell could get his first start for the Jers in that one. In some transfer news then, uh, Brighton have told Moises Casado to stay away from the club's training ground until the transfer window closes on Tuesday. The Ecuador midfielder made it clear on social media last night that he wants to leave the club. That's after Arsenal had a 60 pounds bid rejected yesterday. But Brighton have told Casado he won't be sold during this window and they want him to clear his head. Chelsea are also interested in the man who had a decent World Cup as well uh, in the winter.
0: We're kind of going through teams of the season so far with the the Premier League at halfway. Have you got your your team kind of? I do actually. Out?
2: Yeah, because we're going to hear from Nathan's one later on. Obviously, Nathan would have a bit more of a a, a, a kind of a knowledge on this than I would. But uh, from my own uh, personal, uh, I think Nick Pope has been probably the goalkeeper of the year so far. He's been the real rock at the centre of that um, Newcastle defence. I've been delighted to see that they've been flying up the table, and Nick Pope, you know, somebody who had that um, that brilliant game against Liverpool. Uh, in the the title winning season when it looked like Liverpool might be throwing it away but he's been absolutely brilliant Uh, my back four I have Kieran Trippier who I think has been absolutely incredible I saw a stat stat earlier on uh, for the kind of Premier League teams of the week he's been in 13 of them so far no player has been in more than 6 at this stage of the season before so he's doubled that record so far and he's been absolutely crucial to Newcastle going forward and defending Uh, I have Dan Byrne and Fabian Schaar as well have been just so impressed with the Newcastle defence
0: So you've got four or five are Newcastle players Yeah
2: absolutely because I I think they've been so they've been outperforming their levels that they've been playing at previously and I think Dan Byrne has just been an absolute revelation nearly two metres tall he's taller than his own goalkeeper Nick Pope and playing at left back it's been absolutely incredible he's 30 years of age you know players shouldn't be reaching these heights at that, at that kind of level he started at Darlington I think and now he's you know probably the best left yeah. back in who's
0: your middle player then along with uh, Cher uh,
2: I have uh, Lissandro Martinez as no Arsenal good. players in your back five no not in my back five I think defensively they've been pretty sound but I think that's been Kind of more due to the defending they've been doing from the front, the the likes of the likes of Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard, the kind of work that they've been putting in to kind of keep the pressure off. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale has kind of been probably the second goalkeeper of the year, but again, he hasn't had to do a whole lot because I think the whole team in Arsenal has been. Yeah. Uh, has been, so who's your midfield? Uh, I've Martin Odegaard, who I think is probably player of the year so far. If he obviously Erling Haaland is kind of. Uh, sort of disrupted the stats and everything but Martin Odegaard has been absolutely crucial to everything Arsenal have done he's a creative force he's tracking back he's you know leading the team you saw when uh, when they were playing uh, they were playing uh, Manchester United the other day that when Rashford scored that second it was Odegaard who was telling the fans to kind of calm down it's okay we've got this and that obviously led to Arsenal turning the game around and winning it in the end and he's been a leader where I think Arsenal have really needed him uh, Casemiro has been an absolutely uh, transformative signing for Manchester United it's somebody I think Liverpool probably should have gone after and would have had a, a similar impact there and uh, Bakayosaka has been you know when you think of the kind of mental impact that missing the, the penalty could have had for him but he's just been on a tear ever since and it's great to see that you know he's been leading the charge for them and my front three is pretty simple this one Erling and Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford just neither none of the three of them have stopped scoring
0: all year so you're hoping that Casemiro will uh, be the the fulcrum between uh, your defence and attack absolutely uh, Will O'Callaghan Offaly's finalists is in studio as well uh, what have what you gone for Will in terms of your team of the season so far
1: uh, I've got a few of the same as Aiden. I've gone for a slightly different shape because I wanted to get an extra wide player into my midfield but Nick Pope is in goal I think anyone really would uh, question that currently Karen Trippier has been the standout right back my left back Uh, there's not too many Man City or Liverpool players on my team which is the unusual part last year these teams almost picked themselves and Mm. were like a Liverpool City 11 plus maybe one player from outside I have still stuck with Joe Cancelo at left back just ahead of Zinchenko Um, my centre backs I'm going to go for Lissandra Martinez and I'm going to go for Saliba with Sven Bottman being my next best defender but the two picks have gone Saliba and Martinez midfield Casemiro deserves his place at the base Odegaard in the attacking midfield position I've put Saka over on the left-hand side because he's so versatile and Almiron I've put on the right-hand side okay maybe his form has tailed off a little bit compared to the start of the season but he's very impressive in the first half of the season for Newcastle and then I've gone with Erling Haaland and Marcus Rashford up front just ahead of Harry Kane and I'm wondering, is that largely because of Rashford's form in the last 10 games or so? It
2: might be a bit of recency bias, yeah, but I think but again, Harry Kane think, has just been. I think, you know, Tottenham haven't had the best of seasons, but I think Harry Kane, if you look at his stats, he's probably
1: outperforming even his best
2: years at, at Spurs
1: so yeah, far. And, he's probably without, without the support that he usually has as well, because Kulisewski was injured for well, and Hyunmin yeah. uh, Song has not been having his normal standard of seasons. So um, Kane may be unlucky to miss out, but because I want to get I and I've put two up front. Haaland, I don't think you can argue with his goal scoring so far, and I've Marcus Rashford just ahead of Kane up front.
0: Yeah, by the end of the year, the end of the season, I think this, these teams could be different. Like, I've got Kane and De Bruyne not in my team, which normally you'd expect them to be in there. There are about, and by the time May comes around, they might be in there, and they probably will be in there in De Bruyne's case. But uh, I've gone for Pope, Trippier, Stones, Saliba and Zinchenko, a kind of a defensive midfield of Casemiro and Partey, who I think had a brilliant season. Then the kind of wing players are Saka and Rashford, with Odegaard in the middle behind Haaland. Yeah, you can't argue with any of those, really. So it's all opinions. Any kind of listeners out there with uh, kind of left field opinions on who their players of the season have been so far? Is it Haaland all the way? Is it Odegaard? Is Aiden saying he can get in touch in 5 3 So we've had tennis. Uh, Will, did you see any of this? Um
1: yeah, it wasn't the best Australian Open final. Uh, the organisers were trying to make that out afterwards. Oh, it's been a brilliant final, as it is every single time when you're trying to get the crowd to shout mm. afterwards. But sometimes you get a mix of styles. And in this case, you've got two big hitters who aren't the best of servers, although Sabalenka ended up getting 17 aces as the match went on. She just started to slam ace after ace. So it wasn't the final where you're getting long rallies or particularly interesting tactical shots. It tended to be power versus power. And I was wondering, you know, Sabalenka was getting a little bit nervy, particularly after she lost the first set. And you're thinking, you're up against an opponent who's already won Wimbledon. Does Sabalenka have it in as well as she's played throughout the tournament to come back? But oh, she was very impressive in both the second and third sets and was a set down and also two breaks down in that second set. Still came back to win it uh, 6-4, won the last one six three. 6-3. I thought really, really impressive performance. And we've another new maiden Grand Slam champion.
0: Yeah, Sabela Rush's Arena uh, Sabalenka, the fifth seed, winning that Wimbledon. Uh, the Wimbledon champion Elena Ribikina to win the Australian Open in Melbourne. So, well done to her. Uh, We have, obviously, the the men's final tomorrow. Uh, Sits a pass in Djokovic, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. And it's going to be a very tough ask for Sitsipas to stop Djokovic. He's going for 10 titles now. and I I saw a picture during the week of Djokovic when he won his first one and that was right the way back. And uh, Sitsipas is just kind of happy to be there and I think he'll probably take an awful lot from the experience. And I think there is majors in Sitsipas, but I don't think it's coming tomorrow. The
1: only thing about that match is the fact that, obviously, Djokovic has been carrying this hamstring injury. He's had a few very straightforward games. I wonder if this one, night tomorrow in Melbourne, was to go late. Mm. Could that potentially catch up with him at some point? Because I think if, if Djokovic is healthy and fit, I think Djokovic wins. The leagues
0: are back in terms of football this weekend and hurling then next weekend. So the football season back now this afternoon. Aiden. Yeah, so um, Mayo and last
2: year's All-Ireland beaten finalists Galway clash in Division 1 at Castle Bar that's a half seven this evening while well, the Vinnie Corey era in Monaghan gets underway that's with a meeting with our ma at Castle Blaney from seven o'clock Glen players uh, Conor Glass and Ethan Doherty are set to start for Ulster Kingpins Derry in their Division 2 game against newly promoted Limerick this afternoon that's of course after all the uh, nonsense this week involving the club game and Dublin begin life in the second flight by hosting their neighbours Kildare that's at Crow Park from 5 o'clock.
0: Now we also have Meath in action in the Ladies Football League. Yeah, they look to bounce back
2: from last week's loss to Dublin when they travel to Donegal in Division 1 of the Little Ladies Football League this afternoon. That one is underway in Lesher Kenny. And Mayo host last season's beaten all-Ireland finalists Kerry. That's at the Connacht Centre of Excellence. That one
0: uh, also underway. So how are you feeling about the
1: league's being back? Yeah, I mean, these obviously have a massive importance this year because of the new structure of the Championship in the summer coming. And because we know with the conic draw, which for whatever reason was made back in October uh, during the middle of the club season, as opposed to waiting to around now where we could genuinely get excited about a Championship draw, um, we know that there's going to be a Division 4 team in the All-Ireland Series as a result of the way the Connacht has fallen on one side. And we know that they are going to be in there as a seeded team because of they won the Talton, Talton Cup yeah. last year. So Division 2 in the top of Division 3 is going to be particularly important for those final positions within the Championship. I know you could have a run to a provincial final, but we'll take it that generally the provincial finals are going to be um, division one and two teams, I think across Munster, Leinster and Ulster. So as a result, there's going to be a few last places in the All-Ireland series which are going to be available, and they may well be getting fought out by the teams towards the bottom of division two. And for the division three and division four teams, it's obviously deciding whether you're going to be in the Talton Cup or not uh, when it comes to division three. So I still think the GA's best competition in football are the National Football Leagues, because of the way the teams are balanced against each other. And this time around, there's just that little bit Bit of extra spice about maybe putting a roadmap in place for the summer. There's a lot at stake for teams bottom of Division 2, top of Division 3.
2: Yeah, I'm just happy to see uh, Dublin not in Division One and, and kind of facing a different challenge this year. Obviously, you would expect them to kind of blast through, and regardless, they're going to get to a Leinster final and probably win a Leinster final anyway. So it, that won't have much of their bearing on on Sam Maguire. But just to see how they, how maybe they try a, out a couple of players, maybe some of those Kilmacud players will come in. Um, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see how they face a new challenge in Division Two.
0: Let me get this right. So for the championship in football, will. You say if you go into your quarterfinal in Leinster or Ulster, you win three games to win your provincial championship. Then you've got a group phase in the championship. You've got to play another three games and then another quarterfinal, semifinal. Are we talking about nine games in a championship for a county like Dublin or a county like, say, Armagh, for example, or Tyrone?
1: And this is where the system is very and imperfect. Does, does that
0: then dilute the importance of the league? Because you don't want to be peaking too early.
1: Yeah, but I think for most teams, their league position... Dictates. I don't know how you feel about this, Aidan, where you were a Wexford supporter in mm. Division 4, where where you are in the league for the next year almost feels more important for most teams in the bottom two flights compared to what you do in the Championship itself. Like, those teams in 3 and 4 we want to try and get to the Talton Cup finals. Um, but maybe for Division 1 and 2 teams, John, you know where you're fairly assured that you are going to be going into the All-Ireland Series proper then maybe you want to get to a position where it's not going to be till the last week of May or the first week of June that you're hitting form as opposed to hitting form in the muck and the dirt that comes around in March. But I still think for all teams, the league has a big importance. But I think once you get into the cartel that is Division 1, it's sometimes about playing against teams at your own opposition and looking further down the line. I think the further you go down the league, the more importance the first half of the season has
0: Armagh were the last team out of Division 1 to win the All-Ireland in 2002 will Dublin book that trend I wonder but it's an interesting stat Uh, we obviously reached the final last year
1: yeah Dublin do have every chance I think we're all kind of assuming at this stage that it's going to be Dublin plus one more that comes out of a remarkably competitive Division 2 this season maybe Derry Maybe Derry. I mean, or I pork. thought Derry were going to go up last year, lads. But probably should have, yeah. Probably should have, but obviously Galway and the Rossies got to the final ahead of them and that was a really competitive division last year where the three of them particularly were fighting it out for one place right down to the tooth and nail at the end of Division 2. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, for Limerick and Loud, this is going to be a great experience for them this year. I'm sure they would love to replicate what Clare have done by becoming a consistent Division 2 team mm-hmm. and the impact that's had on their development as well. What is happening then with this Chemical Crokes-Clan saga yeah, so
2: uh, the Dublin side have lodged a counter-appeal against Len's appeal uh, against the result of last Sunday's AIB All-Ireland Club football final. Croaks won the game by two points, but the Derry champions have objected to Kilmacud having 16 players on the pitch during the last attack of the match, and the GAA's Central Competitions Control Committee
1: are likely to hold a hearing early next week.
0: Where is this going?
1: Well, I, I can only say what I've heard from people in Kilmacud Croaks, so it's all second-hand information, but there is that belief out there that... Chemical are not particularly interested in playing a replay if that's what the CCC were to decide over the next three day period, which they have to adjudicate on this. There's going to be a hearing where I'd say both sides are probably going to be called in uh, to state their case. I think if you look at the spirit of the law, which has a certain amount of greatness in it because there are three applications of the law that could come in. I think forfeiture would be way too far. Yeah. I think I don't think replay, anybody's calling
0: for
2: that, though. Yeah, I
1: think replay is the reasonable suggestion or a fine. I think... The extra player on the pitch does have a Is the find
0: the way out of this now?
1: I, I really hope not. I think that would be botching justice if that was to happen. I can feel for both teams here where Glenn have definitely been wronged by an extra player being on the pitch at the time that that 45 has been taken. And there's so many arguments. And this has been broken down into more detail in the JFK shooting at this stage, yeah. where people have had screenshots up showing the referee had his hand up at this point, the fourth official was trying to make sure that it's Darren off the pitch. It's interesting,
0: because Maliki was writing today that even people, uh, that, you know, Francis, outside of, <laughs> you know, are re- referencing this. this, has become a, now a national story, almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, like, the thing is... Should Glenn have taken the 45 quickly or should the official have stopped things? Should there have been a Henley situation where they realise that there's an extra man in the pitch and, just replay and you go back and retake yeah. the 45 and then we would have never had this argument? So there's been a million different angles on it. But the truth of it is the chemical croaks have been trying to enjoy the American Cup for the last three or four year, four days. These have been hanging over them during that period where they should be celebrating the comeback win after losing to Kilku in dramatic circumstances last year. And similarly, I'm sure for Glenn, there's probably been a lot of soul searching within the club. I doubt it was an easy decision or an entirely unanimous decision within Glenn to actually put in the appeal to try and get a replay of the final. So I still think there's probably going to be a replay at the end of this, but the GA, when we spoke to them to get clarification around some of this during the week, were also pointing out that it gets very messy now where the players have been released back from their clubs to play in the National Football League and finding a slot where the club final can be played becomes quite tricky the longer this saga might drag on
0: yeah um, I think what the big learning out of this is that there's got to be more formalisation around substitutions
1: yeah the, yeah I, I, the, I don't see why I can't move on beyond the idea of a slip being handed to the official well it should be on. like a board shouldn't it like in like in professional exactly. sport yeah. Yeah. you have a
0: board and they go off and that's it and they come on they go off and that's it and if it takes a bit more time so what
1: Yeah, and play should be held, I think, until the player comes off. That's what, it tended to work like that during COVID. Uh, But now it's gone back to maybe the old rule, which is more like a sub running on while another guy's making his way off the pitch. Like even there was some claim that there were 17 players on the pitch where Paul Mannion effectively turned back to have a, a look, look at the 45s yeah, being yeah. put in so technically he's on the pitch but he's not interfering in play in any kind of meaningful way it's
0: very simple folks there's a solution going forward to stop this happening formalise the substitutions and, and do it the right way a rugby news yeah so we have a, a couple of games coming on this afternoon
2: Ulster got back to winning ways last night though in the United Rugby Championship Dan McFarland's side scoring five tries in a 35-5 bonus point victory against the defending champions at the Stormers at Kingspan Stadium this afternoon then Joey Carberry makes his 50th appearance from Munster in their match against Benison. Will Connors is in line to make his return from injury in Leinster's match against Cardiff at the RDS, while Connacht take on the Lions at the sports ground this evening.
0: So 5-3-1-6 for Tex. We were given teams of the Premier League season so far halfway through. As a biased Toon fan, Bruno Guimaraes is unlucky. O'Dagar is so good because Bruno is one of the best midfielders I've ever seen since so Paul in Dublin. And also, Will Kilmock could be punished if they were not to play in a replay? Should that be decided, says John in Leitrim.
1: There is this idea that Kilmer could could turn around and say, here's the cup. And maybe the cup will always be tainted after that final anyway because of what's happened here. Um, that is a possibility but I would really hope the forfeiture wouldn't be the punishment there.
0: There's other rugby news as well? Yeah, the
2: Irish women's team have qualified for the semi-finals of the World Rugby 7 Series in Sydney Two tries from Amy Lee Murphy Crow helped them to overcome Fiji by 26 points to 12 That sets up a last 4 clash with New Zealand tomorrow and the men's side lost 26-12 to South Africa in their quarter-final They'll play Britain in the 5th place playoff.
0: How's Rory doing?
2: Yeah, he's 8-under following his second round at the weather-delayed Dubai Desert Classic He's in a tie for 5th and alongside his uh, rivals there, Ian Poulter, Patrick Reid and Bernd Weisberger. The lead is held by three players on 10 under par. The Englishman Richard Bland has been joined at the summit by Thomas Peters of Belgium and the American amateur Thor Bjornsson. And Shane Larry, Tom McKibben, and Patrick Harrington, unfortunately, all set to miss the cut.
0: And we have a landmark set by Willie Mullins today. When I'm thinking about Aidan O'Brien and Willie Mullins, what they've done for this country in terms of their exploits as sports people is just off the scale. And sometimes I feel they don't get enough credit, but Willie Mullins today.
2: Yeah, more history for the Carlo man. He has his 4,000th winner in the game. He had Brun, the winner of the opener at Ferry House today, the Beginner's Chase, and it was the Wexford jockey, Daryl Jacob, on board there.
0: Uh, racing continues at Ferry House for the afternoon. So we've got the Six Nations kind of coming around quite quickly. How are you feeling about the Six Nations this year?
1: I think they're important. I think back to 2019, where Ireland yeah. yeah. didn't play well with the Six Nations, and it felt to carry into the rest of the year. And they never really recovered before the World Cup, even though many times we're thinking... Ah, they're being a little bit experimental. It's only the first game against England, the Six Nations. It'll be fine. It'll work out later in the year. I think it's important that they really go for this one. I think there are some players who are in form They maybe can feel that they can, on the back of the form that they've shown in recent times, get some game time here. I'm thinking of Osborne potentially getting some game time maybe against Italy. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with the number 12 position. Um, I hedge towards Stuart McCloskey because he's playing regular rugby and is playing at the moment, but Bundyaki has never done anything wrong for Ireland. I don't know what's James Lowe's situation about coming back into the squad. I believe he was given leave to go back to New Zealand for a while. So that's a bit of a question mark. Maybe Jimmy O'Brien just slots directly into there. But outside of that, the team feels Setters. remarkably set. Yeah, Very few positions are even up for grabs at the moment. Very competitive back row, but you probably would pick your 15 right now. And the only questions you probably have for the Wales game would be who plays at 12 and who's going to be selected on the opposite wing to Mac Hansen.
2: I think there's definitely not a sense of win or bust here. I think that, you know, we can accept that, you know, maybe a second, third place finish is is probably what we need at this stage. We don't need the extra added pressure of, you know, now we're defending Six Nations champions going in and we should, you know, kind of slaughter everybody in the, in the pool stages. I think definitely there is a sense of, you know, you need to at least put in good performances in those home games against England and France. You know, you should always win your home games, but, you know, if there is a, a loss to, you know, maybe Scotland... You know, I don't think that'll be the end of the world as long as we're kind of blooding the right players and most importantly staying away
0: from injuries. If we come out of this yeah. with
2: every player, you know, still ready to go for later on in the year, I think that's
1: an. Ireland's recent record in Cardiff is appalling. Yeah, twenty
0: thirteen is the last time we won there. Yeah, Simon Zebo, remember, got that try, and we thought well, I, I think we didn't even win a game for the rest of the tournament in that that year.
1: That mm. sounds right, yeah. Billy Burns kick. We should have probably won that year. But It'll aside be off, yeah. the Gatlin teams have done particularly well. And that's the looming thing of Gatlin coming back in with Wales. Everything seems re energized now yes. back in. And even their club sides have been playing a bit better in Europe over the last few weeks in anticipation of the Six Nations. So I think this is a far from easy game to start and it's gonna obviously set out the plan for the rest of the tournament yeah. after
0: that. Quick verdicts on the Six Nations?
1: I still fancy France to win it. I hope Ireland are second, though, and I hope, like Aidan just said, I hope Ireland play particularly well in the England and France games. The France game, I think, is a particular importance at the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I think France are probably going to win it, but I think if Ireland are a strong second or a strong third, I think that's that success.
0: Off the ball feels like we're in the running already. and There's still half a season to go. I'm not sure how long you can maintain that sort of nervous energy, that emotional intensity. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sport. What's up?